Welcome to the Building to Scale podcast, where we bring real entrepreneur stories that showcase the challenges and successes in building and scaling an entrepreneurial business. Our host, Jeff Chastain, is a business transformation coach with Admentis, where he coaches business leaders and their teams with a proven set of principles and tools helping them gain clarity in and get more of what they want from their business. Make sure to stick around until the end of the show, and we will reveal how you can become our next guest. Hello, everybody. Jeff Chastain here with the Building to Scale podcast, where I get the opportunity, as always, just to speak with our guests that are just entrepreneurial business leaders, influencers, just hearing their stories of both really challenges and success as they've kind of grown and scaled their business with their, where it is today, honestly. So today's guest with me here, I get the pleasure to speak with Courtney Lukic of Gotham PR that we were talking a little bit before the show, at least used to be New York and now is uh, based out of Florida here. So a little bit sunny weather here for the nice summer, but Courtney, welcome on and thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day here. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So tell us a little bit more about Gotham PR, kind of what you got going on, how you got into this business. Well, sure. I worked at three big agencies in New York City right at the dawn of Internet 1.2.0. So got to work with every kind of startup, major firm. My first um, agency record client was IBM. So that gives you some touch point and also the evolution of where technology has brought us to the present. So uh, after three different agencies and making them a lot of money and generating a lot of business, I started my own in 2002, that was on the heels of 9-11 in New York. So like somewhat analogous to today, starting a new business at a downtime has its opportunities and advantages as much as it possesses challenges. So during the pandemic, uh, fast forward 20 years, I took time to write a book and triple my business. And now we have clients in 30 cities in North America and 30 countries around the world on every continent, actually. That just oh, wow, happened. every continent, yep. okay. <laughs> Pretty cool. <laughs> I'll be curious about the, the Antarctica. I wouldn't have expected too many businesses down there at that point. Explorers. So, gotcha. Okay. Okay. So I'm kind of curious, what, what was that transition? Because you said originally starting off with obviously working for another firm kind of a thing versus moving into your, your own company. Obviously, a lot of entrepreneurs kind of looking at that saying, hey, I'm not, not real happy necessarily with working for somebody else. But mm-hmm. what was that kind of transition like for you to say, make that shift? Well, again, I think it takes a lot of bravery. So first and foremost, you have to cultivate yourself to be somewhat risk averse. At that time, we bootstrapped it. So we had assigned three really large clients in the consumer realm. And um, that allowed us the cushion financially to be able to take on offices and kept, kept things relatively small. At the time, I had a business partner that I have since bought out because he wanted to move on to other endeavors. And so I would say, yes, definitely align yourself with experts and seek out guidance um, as you do it. And I've encouraged several people actually during this time to start their own businesses. They've come to me and I've given them pro bono counsel. Uh, It's like you said, the the downturn can be positive in a lot of ways for, at least for startups, for for early stage businesses kind of a thing, just be able to get into the market and start turning around. So yeah, I've, I've seen that one plenty of times and it's always, to me, it's always one of those kind of timeframes that you see new businesses emerge, the ones that are really looking forward, forward looking to say, hey, yeah, we can take advantage is kind of a, it, it sounds bad, but still the, the reality is, hey, we can take advantage of the situation, move forward with the situation to innovate, streamline, niche down, whatever the case may be. 
Correct. To use your term, innovation is the key concept I would underscore here because people were in lockdown. And again, we work in a lot of creative industries, everything from technology to direct consumer brands to new platforms being developed in UX. And if you know anything about creating an architecture for a new app or a platform, it requires at least several months of development, at least six, you know, to do it properly. So now we're seeing coming out, we're launching financial technology platforms and educational global platforms that are accessible and very democratic um, for all. So it, it does take time to ideate and do it properly not least of which several brands, new brands will come to life, um, obviously in Q3 coming out of this. Yeah, it's, it's always, it'll be interesting to see that one because it seems like every time we've got a bit of that financial twist or whatever in the market that there's usually some big, it was like that was where Uber and stuff like that came out of uh, 2008. So it's, it's always interesting to see, okay, what's the, what's the new company is going to be? What's the new innovation is going to be that'll pop onto the scene? But so I'm curious, we were actually talking a bit before we came on, talking about the, the the approach to sales or your approach to marketing out there and obviously being on the PR side. I'm curious kind of what your take is from a marketing standpoint for uh, obviously your business clients, but still businesses in general in terms of the, the best way out there, because back up a second and frame this a little bit better. So a lot of uh, business owners that I run into are kind of still in that operator technician kind of mindset that they may understand the finance world, they may understand accounting, they may understand legal or technology, whatever. They don't necessarily understand or get the the sales and marketing side or maybe even the finance side on the other side. And that's kind of one of the struggle areas with the business to say, okay, how do we move forward from being just the operator, the expert expertise in your industry to really brand and start growing that business from a sales and marketing standpoint? So I'm kind of curious what's your What's your take is that on that from being a, a PR side and like we were talking earlier, not the not the high pressure sales pitch approach kind of a thing here, more the the laid back, or I'd say how you how do you describe that from a well first and foremost, we work with a network of uh, specialists and experts. So to your point, I would refer that technical expert or service provider to seek out a branding and positioning expert. So having a branded identity certainly helps create any kind of digital marketing outreach, or as we call it, a campaign. So typically for a PR firm to take on um, a new entity, for example, would necessarily need to possess those touch points. So people come to us all the time and I will say, what kind of projects do you have in your pipeline or what case studies could you leverage? What benchmarks exist that demonstrate that expertise or subject matter uh, knowledge, right? So press won't cover something that doesn't really have a strong foundation. And that foundation starts with a brand identity, a website presence, building collateral, everything from your values and mission statement to an actual offering. So to your point, a sale can really be anything from a concept, an idea, an actual product, a service, a technical facet. I mean, you'd be surprised at some of the things that come come into our path and over my email transom as queries, but most of them tend to be pretty fully articulated. And if I can't help someone at my firm, and again, we have pretty deep expertise, I will refer them to such a firm. And at that time, I'll say, come back to us once you have built that website and created that identity and have something visual. You have to be searchable and you have to be shareable, right? So- yeah. Instagram is great, but that's just a tiny little raindrop in the huge bucket that is digital marketing, <laughs> sales, and promotion. 
It is. But at the same time, I look at it and say, especially from there's almost so much resources out there right now. Like you said, with, yeah. with all the different social media platforms, web platform, we're obviously doing podcasting stuff right, right there. It's like there's so many different outlets and especially smaller businesses don't necessarily have that huge deep pockets kind of a thing to go hit all those. So what's kind of, what's your thought for a, a more limited budget potentially on saying, okay, how do we start to get, dip our toe in the water here and start to move out with this without dropping a million dollar ad budget kind of a thing to go. go oh yeah. No, I'm not suggesting that it's advertising necessarily, but again, that foundational website. And again, there are affordable uh, firms and opportunities linkage to the social channels you referred to. LinkedIn is invaluable. I've used it for years. I'm an all-star networker on LinkedIn because I cultivated a network of C-level decision makers and high profile entities in media and marketing. And it, it really serves as an excellent tool. So that's something anyone can do at any level. Um, I even engage with students and grad students. Um, you know, sometimes that's how interns find us who want to come and have a paid experience to learn about our industry and, you know, have launched a lot of careers that way. So, you know, I always say the demographic I work with is 20 to 90 as in terms of an age group. And that's not an exaggeration. <laughs> no, it's not. And that's, to me, that's one of the benefits of the entrepreneurial world is honestly, anybody can get back into it kind of a thing that I've, I've had. I've, I've had early stage uh, people that have come straight out of college kind of a thing and starting their own business or even starting it in college. And I've talked to people that are, we had a 40 year corporate America career kind of a thing before yeah. starting the business kind of a thing. So it's, it's always fun just hearing the, the journey and the challenges kind of a thing is, okay, how did you get into this? Yeah, it is interesting because to your point, I helped somebody who I've known since she was two years old launch her own agency during the pandemic. And likewise, somebody who's in his 50s, 60s, I didn't ask his age, but start his third career uh, during this time as well. And again, the idea came out of a concept for a documentary that he sort of pitched me. And then I went to a producer and we blew it into a whole new platform offering in the healthcare segment. So sometimes a concept starts as a tiny little germination and then it turns proliferates into a bigger business opportunity. And again, going back to that idea of surrounding yourself with experts, I plugged him into various entities and fast forward, I think he's launching in July. So again, <laughs> needing the time to develop the UX, but all it took was a few conversations. And when people really have that fire in their spirit to do something different, they realize, you know, it's a now or never opportunity, right? It is that. And it's it's usually, like I said, some kind of little idea there that you're talking about. So I, I like that concept there. So I'm kind of curious, taking that that idea or that role, what what got you interested in the, the PR wor world yourself? I'm a people person, in case you hadn't <laughs> made that connection. And I do like matchmaking, art and commerce. And so I find that a lot of creative entities don't have the business acumen. The business world wants the creative partnership so those two can align pretty seamlessly when they are uh, mapped together along sort of a, a strategic forecast. And sometimes it takes times and sometimes it happens instantaneously. It really depends on the parties involved. But um, and I love seeing my clients succeed. There's nothing that gives me more satisfaction than seeing them in a major headline. I only work with top tier media, so it's pretty competitive. But uh, to see a business change course in real time or even a startup that was a relatively unknown just flourish almost instantly, it, it really is very exciting. So no one client is like another and no one day is like another. You know, I've been getting up at two, four, six in the morning to work with various countries and different time zones. And 
you know, you get energized, you, you don't get tired. So it's, you know, it's a time to accelerate, not decelerate, right? Now that we're yeah. opening back up. <laughs> That's my philosophy anyway. Oh, definitely so. Yeah. And, and honestly, I, I felt and I've been talking with people, okay, it was the time to to reinvest and accelerate was even six, nine months ago that I, right. we were talking offline. It's like, okay, you had the time at that point to, yep. to take advantage of that and move forward. So yeah, it's it's always a case of taking advantage of the situations. And it's obviously the last year has been rough for a lot of people, but at the same time, it's provided opportunities too. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of it. Yeah, it's it's important to be empathic. And as I said, in each client scenario, it's different. Um, I think organizations and individuals and smaller firms either thrived or they floundered. You know, there didn't seem to be anything in the intermediate point. Yeah. So I'm, I'm always very mindful of that to approach any client project or situation with that sort of set of goggles on. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious, just from the overall evolution of your business, you said actually 19 years, I think was what you're saying with Gotham PR. That's right. As of May. Yep. So what's been kind of the, the evolution of that business overall over time? Because I'm assuming you didn't probably run out of the gate with a bunch of employees or a bunch of staff or anything like that. Definitely right. not 30 countries or 30. Exactly. Well, you know, I, I grew up around the world. So that's the affinity to being able to work in a multicultural sort of aspect. And again, everybody likes being in New York and London. So that those are hubs for, for new business and people wanting exposure and uh, to open up quite frankly. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of that happening as well. So yeah, we started as a two-person team and then we took on various people as the economy expected, expanded and contracted. And that happened several times over the course, obviously, of 20 years. So you learn a lot that way. I've always really gotten woven into the fabric of whatever larger client I'm working with. So, you know, we're talking about 50 to 100 to 200, 500, sometimes 1,000 person firms. So, you know, being part of that management, change management fabric um, entails a lot of people hours. So I kept my own team lean, knowing that I was going to have to manage client side <laughs> pretty extensively, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I have um, freelancers now working in many different markets that kind of zoom in with me and help with various tactical things, but I'm really the face to the client and the clients prefer that. And I have the network. So to your point and to your audience listening, I would just say um, really always be mindful of your budget and not overextending your resources because when push comes to shove as a founder, you're really responsible for delivering and you can't really pass it off to your underlings. So unfortunately that happened at other agencies I was at in the past. And I think that's very old model way of thinking. Yeah. No, it's, you know, it just, it's not fair. It's not fair to anyone. It's not fair to the client. It's not fair to the team. And ultimately as a founder, it's kind of like, mm, don't, don't pass off work. It's not good. If you promise something in the room, then you've got to deliver it <laughs> in spades. So it, it does all roll back to you kind of a thing, whether you're the front line of it or, or not kind of a thing. Sure. You're, you're definitely in charge of the company image for that point, no matter right. what. Yep. So I'm curious, kind of what's what has that meant with business and, and granted, you may not have experience elsewhere, but still, what has that meant for business when you've effectively been that outward face, that outward front line of it? So at that point, you're in some respects doing the sales marketing as well as the the operations side of the company altogether. And you've had to, I'm guessing, kind of build infrastructure behind you to support you. Yes. Obviously yes. there's only well, 24 hours in a day. 
Yeah, that's that's my mantra is surround yourself with experts. So I have an excellent lawyer. I have an excellent branding agency. I have an excellent UX. This is part of my whole chapter comprised of surrounding yourself with expertise in my new book called Creating Significance. So how you build a lasting business is surrounding yourself with the right people, right? This is not a not a um, hard to grasp concept from any business leader by any stretch of the imagination, but I think some people come to it rather late. So great accountant, great writers, great coaches, you know, great physical therapists to help you when you've been working too much to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Um, the list goes on and on. I think I have 50 different experts that I've worked with over the course of my career and ongoing. And what's really great is I can refer those experts to my clients. So to your point, I do feel supported and I also get a lot of referrals from clients. So that shows that I think when you become an invaluable resource that, um, you know, it, it stops kind of being a job and you don't feel alone because you've got this whole satellite network around you that's highly effective. Everybody's operating at the highest level possible. And I think that's a lot better than trying to, um, deal with people who are new to the job or inexperienced or junior or what have you. Not to say that I haven't worked with juniors because I've cultivated and launched probably a hundred careers or more. Um, but at this particular moment, it's all very high level. Yeah, it, it makes sense. And I, I do get what you're saying and, and agree with having those kind of other expertise around you because honestly, most of the business owners I deal with are, they've got their own lane of expertise. So you're, so yours is in PR, you wouldn't necessarily go handle the finances, CFO kind of role. You'd probably be looking for an accountant, somebody else like that to have that expertise there. And okay. the, the longer you try to sit there and to me, hold on to all those pieces, right? you're not necessarily doing any of them well. Well, I mean, it's great to your point to have a short list. Like I have a short list of professional photographers that I know work in different kinds of what we call typologies or different scales, some interior, some exterior, some more architectural, some more interior focused. Um, and those kind of experts agree exist in other industries. So there's the super expensive branding agent, or there's the one that's very affordable for the startup. So you have to match the expert to the client or the opportunity, right? So to your point earlier, you, no one's going to have the $50,000 to do the mega website in the beginning, right? It's just yeah. not realistic. <laughs> it, it shouldn't be. Yeah, no. And, and that's, and that's, I mean, really unless the they have, yeah, VC financing or something like that, in which yeah. case it would probably be at a zero, 500,000. <laughs> well, it's that, but a, a lot of times I'll still see, and, and granted, I fall into this category myself of being the, the perfectionist nature of, okay, unless it's out there perfect the first time kind of thing, it's got to be all um, done exactly right, then you almost end up in the paralysis side of saying, okay, we can't afford that, but that's the only option. That's the only way it can be done. We can't do anything lesser than that. So that's, right. I, I see that yeah. one. I read a great piece by, I believe it was Jeff Grant, who has a new book out, check him out on LinkedIn. He has a really interesting series who said that you can overwork something if you are a perfectionist and an overachiever to the extent that you actually come out with a worst result. So sometimes it's good to um, make it what you promised and get it out in the world. And then you can always improve it or touch upon it. But there are, as you said, so many hours in the day and so many things on that checklist that if you keep reworking just one item, you'll never get to everything else, right? Yeah. And I, I haven't ever written a book before, but I can imagine it's the same kind of thing that even once it goes to publication, there's probably still things in it that you might wish, hey, could have polish this a little bit more or spend a little bit more time or there was another piece I wanted to get in there just didn't have That's time right. kind of thing but at some point you just got to say here's version one we got to get it out there 
And I think even from a business perspective, the longer you hold back a product there, building more, putting more into it, the more at risk you are, because you may finally get that product to market and realize nobody really wants it or it, it missed the mark a little bit kind of thing. Whereas if you'd gotten it out there earlier, you could course adjust easier. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I always approach things with clients from a reverse engineering perspective. So the platforms that I mentioned before that are launching just this week, the financial technology and educational technology and healthcare technology, we started talking about exactly one year ago, and I mapped it out for them, and they followed it. Fortunately for them, they took direction. I mean, there was obviously a lot of back and forth in between, but I'm very happy that they met their goal because there's so much competition and so many entities coming out that are going to, you know, steal their thunder if they don't take the opportunity to at least get it out there, right? So if they get acquired or they get bought later on, then good for them. That's great. But um, you you do kind of have to be first to market. It's just, it's a pretty crowded marketplace. And as much as there's a lot of room, for new, um, new everything, really. Um, I do think the timing is, it's sort of this magical essence of right time, right place, at least from a PR person's thinking, because again, I work as a conduit on the editorial side. So I get to see what's coming in the market first under non-disclosure. So you just want to make sure you protect your clients and say, Hey, you better (laughs) put a little fire under everybody to get it out. Otherwise, I'm not going to represent it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to come after somebody else or be a copycat. So a lot of times people come to us if they want to do be the first, like first in category, which sometimes means creating a whole new category. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And it's, it's timing for sure. And unfortunately, rarely a crystal ball to see exactly what the future is going to be in a a year or two, kind of a thing like that. But I'm curious, you mentioned at least a year out or whatever kind of thing. What's your kind of approach even from within your own business from a longer term strategy standpoint is it's because I see again a lot of entrepreneurs almost living more in today to say okay we're just get through today we're going to keep working today without that longer term strategic goal strategic plan kind of a thing for for the business so I'm curious if you've got one further out to say where you want to be or what what's your kind of approach is in dealing with clients from a even a PR standpoint to say okay where we want to be a year from now five years from now whatever the time frame is Yeah, I mean, typically we take on um, 10 or 15 accounts biannually. And again, they can become rather comprehensive because they're 360, right? So it's marketing, PR, business development. And some clients need more help or support than others. So 15, 20 maximum, I think, is pushing it from a boutique PR um, perspective. But I do like to forecast at least every six months, every 12 months, and then, you know, on and on. So As I mentioned, there's a book coming out called Creating Significance that leverages various case studies of entrepreneurial businesses that we started with, where they were when we started and where they are today. So some of them, you know, started 10 years ago, the majority, I would say, uh, 15, 20. Some of them are legacy firms, which means of repositioning and succession planning. Those firms are 50, 60, 70 years old. So I think it's a book that I wish I had when I first started my business. Quite frankly, it would have saved me a lot of time, money and frustration, headaches, tears before bedtime, all the things they talk about, (laughs) what keeps you up at night as a business owner. So um, yeah, I'm very proud of everything everyone's achieved. And I would like to see, you know, even I've had an offer to buy my agency many times and to go in-house for clients many times, uh, all of which I have 
decline, but um, if the firm is going to keep going, it would be one of my proteges that would take it over or, you know, to your, to your question, I don't have a hundred percent answer, but well, no, and I, I so much think... new business. I know I'm going to be working for the next three years, at least let's put it that way. <laughs> three <laughs> to five years more likely. Well, there, there is that for sure. I was say, like I said, nobody's, nobody's got the true crystal ball, but at the same That's time, right. it's even to you're talking about the book or whatever. It's like, you don't wake up and just say, okay, we're going to write one more page today, one more page. And at some point, maybe we'll have a book done. It's like, you got to have a longer term plan to say, like you said, start at the end. Okay. What's, what's our release right. going to be for the book? back and start backing in. Okay. What's the structure going to look like? What's the chapter format going to look like? Now we'll start writing, et cetera. You don't just, like I said, go into it and just, Hey, I'm going to go write something today. And right. There's a, there a narrative arc and a lot of takeaways and the book kind of wrote itself in that it's true life experience. I do think it's of the zeitgeist because it has so much valuable insight into what to do and what to avoid. So there's, I sort of illustrate the upside and the, the downsides such as it is. Yeah, Lessons but I, I can see that effectively backing back into the business to say, okay, even the PR side was like, okay, we're going to launch the campaigns, we're going to launch this on a certain date, now we got to start backing it back in. So that's, right. that's typically the way I look at it, even from a, a business structure standpoint, to say, okay, where do you want the business to be in five years, where do you want it right. to be in 10 years, start backing it back in, build your plan to make that happen. But right. even more to your, your question there, or comment about succession kind of a thing, I'm always, that's one of the questions I'm typically talking with business leaders on to say, okay, at some point, you're going to exit the business. Ho- hopefully, it's a retirement with a, a nice paycheck and stuff like that. But still, it's at some point, sell the business, pass it on to kids, whatever the case may be. It's going to change hands at that point. So how do you, what are you doing today or how do you do today to build up that value when it does change hands? Because mm-hmm. especially in, in our, our cases with smaller boutique kind of agencies, a lot of times you'll have the value all tied up in the owner's head at that point. So it's like, okay, mm-hmm. we got to build a longer term structure, longer term strategy. So it's interesting to, to hear you bring that up kind of things. That's a, one that a lot of times people don't really think about much. It's just they're, they're focused in the here and now and not in the, the transition at some point that will happen. Well, that's where the title came from creating significance as we cultivated the client roster so that they were all businesses that built something of lasting value, right? So that could be anything from a fashion empire to uh, actual entire cities master planning around the world. So these the scale is rather significant from where they started to where they are. And, and that's um, very exciting to see. But you become associated with your work, right? And the people you surround yourself with and the businesses you represent, in my case anyway. So because they are all very um, well-respected and sought after, that certainly is a, a true reflection, I think, of our work together. and how we've created success. And the idea of creating, you know, significance too is um, designing your life's work. And you can go about it to your point methodically. And, you know, some of it is rough and tumble and day to day. I mean, I'm not going to say it isn't because you learn, I'm learning all the time, upskilling. I mean, that's one thing I did take time during the pandemic to listen to as many interviews and podcasts and webinars and learn new things and take master classes and you know one might say how do you have time for that but i did find time because i wasn't always jumping on an airplane or you know in crazy transit like i more typically would be so uh, i think lifetime learning is probably the number one takeaway as an entrepreneur as you you can't sort of rest on your laurels you have to keep evolving yeah i've, I've made the comment before on other sh- on other podcasts but it's 
the, I, I do work with high school students sometimes and it's the, their attitude of, hey, if I can just get through the end of high school, if I can just get through the end of college and I'm done with this learning stuff, it's like, no, this is just, this is just the start. You, you, all this has been doing is teaching you hopefully how to self-teach and how to learn yourself at this point because it's, right. it never ends. Well, so many resources available now that had not been traditionally, you know, in the past decade or so. I mean, it was interesting. I taught a university level class fairly recently and the professor said, well, you know, keep it to the assignment. You're the end of the semester and you're going to sort of corral all of their research and learning. And I went into it with a very MBA mindset. So I went very high level and I could tell they were right there with me because they felt very stimulated. I made it very interactive like this even though it was conducted via Zoom and they got so much out of it. And then I put all these, you know, interesting resources into their shared files and um, they all did really well. So, I mean, it just shows you sometimes you got to talk up and not talk down to people. There's, right? there's that for sure. Yeah. Motivate. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I've, I've really enjoyed the conversation. I was say we're running through time here, but I um, always kind of like coming back at the end and put you on the spot a little bit here. Okay. If you were to look back over 20 years, kind of a thing with the, the PR firm, is there any kind of one or two lessons learned kind of a thing that pop out to you to say, hey, if we had just done this earlier, tried this earlier kind of a thing, we might have saved a few of those late nights or those those headaches kind of a thing there from a business standpoint? Uh, turn away problematic clients from the beginning. Don't sign the contract or just politely decline and refer them elsewhere, which I do as a matter of course, but probably did less of early on being a problem solver. I took on a lot of things that probably could have just been <laughs> pushed to the side. Um, I would say, again, surrounding yourself with experts. I mean, fortunately, early on, we had great lawyers and accountants, but in terms of team members, there was a lot of learning on the job. I think that probably still exists. I mean, nobody comes in fully formed. Um, an expert, but again, having a great team, you can't, you can't um, underscore that enough. And again, back to our earlier conversation before we got on this podcast, we spent so much money on offices and utilities, particularly being in New York City. I mean, I can't even tell you how many zeros would be attached. <laughs> that, that I think, you know, again, with the co-working spaces that came in later on, obviously not all of them inexpensive either, but um, I would just say, don't blow a lot of money on overhead if you don't have to. Yeah, no, I, a couple of those really like, but yeah, especially the, to me, that's one of the benefits these days of the co-working spaces, even the fractional leadership kind of a thing that you can find fractional sales coaches, fractional CFOs, stuff like that to help right. build yes. that expert list kind of a thing right there. You don't need to go hire a full-time CFO or anything like that. Right, right. So it's it's interesting. I, I, to me, that's a, a new benefit of relatively new kind of a thing there. We're starting to see more and more of that on the market there for sure. So it right. And optimization tools, everything from mosaic for forecast planning to obviously Slack and the ones that are more top of mind, not least of which there are great design tools since we've been talking about design. Um, Visme, Coursera, there's a lot of really cool uh, tools that are available for people who even want to self-brand in the beginning that I think are perfectly respectable and look very unique and differentiated. Differentiation yeah. is key from where I'm sitting, obviously. <laughs> no, it makes perfect sense. So appreciate the time. Um, if people want to learn more about you, or I know we've mentioned the book a couple of times, go go find the book. What's what's the best resources to, to find you? Book comes out in the fall. Best place to find me is on LinkedIn. And again, I love meeting new people in that uh, forum. So it's Courtney Lukic. Again, the firm name is Gotham PR. And you can shoot me an email if you have a question. I try to answer any and all of them. Just Courtney at GothamPR.com. And thank you Sounds so much. Sounds great. Yeah, we'll definitely get the links in right here below. So I appreciate the time this morning and best of luck going forward here in the, the new environment. 
And to you, hopefully see you in Texas at some point. <laughs> yeah, be good too. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Building to Scale podcast. If you would like to share your entrepreneurial business growth story, please visit buildingtoscale.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you do both us and our guest a favor and share it on your social media accounts? Don't forget to hit subscribe in your player so that you don't miss any future episodes and make sure to reach out to Jeff Chastain on any of the major social media networks or check us out at admentis.com.